Welcome to episode 18 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hi, it's Todd Houston again. I just wanted to invite you to become a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network. We want to really ramp up what we have to offer in 2021, this new year that we find ourselves in. So please reach out to us if you have ideas for webinars, courses, or even maybe a new podcast that you'd like to develop. Reach out to me at Todd at 3CDigitalMediaNetwork.com and I'll be in touch. Thanks. On today's podcast, I have a good friend and colleague, Dave Sindri. This interview was actually recorded on another podcast that I co-host called Telepractice Today. On that podcast, we interviewed my co-host Kim Dutro-Allen and I interviewed Dave to discuss his role in telepractice as well as all of the things that he's been doing in terms of developing materials for the Lissell community. And so if you've already heard that interview, you may not want to listen to this one, although you're certainly welcome to do so. If you're not familiar with Dave, here's a brief introduction. Dave is the creator of many beloved materials for children with hearing loss, including Listening Games for Littles and the Cochlear Implant Auditory Training Guide. Dave is known for inventive and effective games that work on both listening, speech, and language. And his lighthearted illustrations are loved by both parents and children around the world. He is the developer of the listeningroom.com, speechtree.ca, and listeningtree.ca, and is now adapting his work for telepractice on boomlearning.com, as well as Teachers Pay Teachers. He is currently pursuing his PhD in hearing science at Western University in Canada. Without further ado, here's that interview with Dave. Dave Sindri, welcome to the podcast. Can you give us a little information about your background? Okay, well, thanks for having me. And uh, I've been a speech-language pathologist. Uh, right now, I'm not practicing. I've gone back to school. Uh, but I started back right when cochlear implants uh, came on the scene in Canada. It was a very exciting time. I was already working for Voice for Hearing Impaired Children as an auditory verbal therapist. And uh, I actually starved for three months eating potatoes. I didn't choose any jobs until this one job at the cochlear implant program came up <laughs> and uh, I was lucky enough to get it. And then uh, I haven't looked back. So I've had a, a great uh, time with auditory verbal, mostly because I love the connection with the families. Right now I'm working with someone that I worked with as a baby and he's now an adult cochlear implant recipient. And again, we're doing telepractice. 
But what, what I like is the long-term involvement with families through parents. And uh, I think it's been a great gift uh, to be part of that. Um, at some point, I got involved in doing um, talks in, in Mexico, and I met my wife, and I ended up moving there. We, we've now moved back to Canada, but for seven years, I worked with the infant hearing program that was just newly developed in Mexico. So I was training two speech-language pathologists from each state and how to work with uh, these kids that were now just getting hearing through cochlear implants. And uh, I guess all through that, I've been scrambling to try to come up with therapy materials for these new changes. Uh, you know, all of a sudden at the beginning in the 90s, there were four-year-olds that had never heard before. So I needed an activity that was interesting for four-year-olds at beginning levels. And, um, and now, luckily, we're, we can choose activities that are more age-based and language-based, uh, but there's still some need for, for those adjustments. But uh, that's been another great thing for me is just to be able to draw and to create materials that I find work in my own work and then share them with others. So I guess that's a good sum up. But as I said, I've returned to school now. I've just finished my master's in audiology and I'm uh, finishing a PhD in hearing science here at Western Ontario in London, Ontario, Canada. And uh, my work has been actually through about um, helping parents to uh, overcome barriers for putting hearing aids on babies. And so I've developed a, a series of um, 13 different videos that, that work on really overcoming those barriers in terms of their motivation or their, uh, their capabilities, teaching strategies, teaching why it's important and making them aware of uh, just how many hours they actually do have those hearing aids on and how important it is mostly. Well, I think of one word when you, uh, as I'm listening to you, and it's prolific in terms of what, what you've been able to do in your career, and even now going back to school to get uh, to get your master's in audiology and a PhD, it's uh, it's quite impressive. What I would say is um, usually the drawing and the materials for speech pathology has usually been a procrastination on something else I don't really like to do. So report writing or <laughs> writing my thesis. So yes, so yeah, it all kind of works out from from a from a distance. But right now, yes, I've got to get back to writing. <laughs> I love it. I um, remember in first hearing about your work when I was in grad school, and Todd was my professor, and he told me about the listening room, and I was like religious every week. I would log on to get the new activity of the week and save them all, and and I hadn't used them for a while because they didn't some of them didn't translate very well to um, doing telepractice. And then you started yep. doing boom cards and I now use them daily. Um, and I've, we've mentioned you several times on the podcast and your activities. Okay. And I think a lot of people are finding them really helpful. Uh, tell us about that transition when you realized that you needed to put a way for them to be online. Well, um, one, one, uh, one, problem, I guess, for me here in Canada is I feel a little like I'm not helping with the, with the, uh, the fight. <laughs> and I know everyone here is just kind of digging in and uh, trying to, trying to help uh, the kids despite these challenges. And um, I really, I, you know, I've always felt very proud to be part of this community and part of, you know, connected to the people that do this kind of work. 
And I thought, well, one way I can help now is trying to help them with materials uh, that they can use in telepractice. I actually heard about it through a podcast, or I'm sorry, a webinar by, by Todd about boom cards. And I looked at it, I thought, I could, I could change a lot of things over to that. Um, I'm still working on catching up. I'm working on trying to get, I probably only have about 10% of my materials kind of up there and available. And I've been kind of tangled up with articulation activities. So I'm really excited about moving towards uh, more listening activities, some of the things I've done. And, and, and hopefully at some point I can start really getting into creating new things rather than just adapting things I've already done. Uh, but I'm taking some of the oldies goodies and trying to make them available so that, yeah, so that they can be fun and engaging online instead of just print and play. I think some people are saying that they might just stay with the, uh, the online materials because it's very handy set up and it's uh, it's still engaging. So I think I think we're all learning here about what you know what we can do. So, yep, my laminator has been lonely <laughs> these past couple of years, <laughs> and I don't feel bad about it either. It's been nice to have um, a way to use all of these materials that is a lot less time and prep intensive. So I think, I think it is something that people will always use no matter whether they're doing in-person or telepractice, there's ways to adapt it, like using it on an iPad in person. So I, I think it's a great direction to head in for creators in general. I I love, I love coming up with with fun ways to engage a child. So um, most of the speech class think that I'm working mostly to, to accomplish the speech goal or the language goal, but my real thing is to get the kid to laugh, <laughs> to get them engaged. So uh, I think that comes first. And then I make sure that I, I cover the, the goals. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. My kids have loved um, trying to save the farmer from getting poked in the butt <laughs> by a bull. <laughs> they think that's really fun. And um, saving your latest one was the polar bears, saving the presents from the polar bears. So there's lots of, I mean, articulation can be really boring and tedious. <laughs> so I like that you're bringing the fun into it. Yeah. Well, in terms of kids, my fan base are usually the ones that are a little bratty because I, <laughs> I, I'm the same. So <laughs> it works perfect. Yeah. So, so Dave, I, I had a question about how you, because you and, was it you and your brother formed the company? before was that uh, it was just me um at one point it kind of was um kind of eating up a lot of my time that i wanted for other things so my brother uh, offered uh, to step in and he's a he's a firefighter so he was able to work his shifts and then have some free time to help me so he was helping me but it was really my my own business at the time and um i guess it came from uh, developing a children's book and um I published a children's book before I got into speech pathology or anything. And, and I was kind of shocked by how little control I had over the process. So when I got into publishing books, uh, A.G. Bell said, we'll publish them for you. And I mm-hmm. preferred to publish them on my own. And so I'm not sure if it was a good choice because all the other jobs fell to me as well, like mm-hmm. selling and bookkeeping and shipping and all those things. So it was great to have my brother at that time. The advantage now of, uh, of boom learning and websites is that I can just sell subscriptions and I can sell uh, sell products individually and and I'm I'm back to focusing just on what I like to do is just putting putting things up. 
Um, but I've had I've had work, uh, you know, through other companies too, like uh, Advanced Bionics, but also um, uh, the peep in in Spain where I was developing um, Spanish materials. So I, it's not just my brother. My wife is a is a um, Mexican trained speech language pathologist, and she helps me with materials. And, and sometimes she has a lot to say about the materials. But anyway, she's <laughs> she's free help, so I'm not saying anything. As as spouses uh, sometimes have lots of input in things that <laughs> they, they do, yeah. But no, anyway, it's all been very valuable. Well, I, I'm married to a speech language pathologist too, so I, oh, okay. I uh, understand or feel your <laughs> you know, however you want to phrase that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about for a moment. I mean, you, you've done such great work with the with the materials that you're developing, and you've you've now gone to more and more digital kinds of materials or transferring uh, or translating your materials into a digital format. Talk about telepractice, because uh, you you know. I think you and I and only a handful of people, you know, in the Lissell world were doing telepractice way back when. And um, how did how did that come about? Well, back when I um, back when I first started with the cochlear implant program, we were trying to support families that were on the other side of Canada. So there weren't very many uh, cochlear implant programs, and the way it was set up is that each province kind of paid for the children to get cochlear implants within their province, but other provinces who didn't have programs could purchase service. Uh, And so I was supporting a lot of families out in Nova Scotia, for example, as far as Nova Scotia. And, uh, you know, sometimes I say, I wish we could just, you know, use some of this science fiction technology to connect with them. And, you know, so this was like, this was before a lot of this was possible. So what the crazy thing that I started with was they would send me videotapes mm-hmm. of working with their children. Mm-hmm. I would videotape myself watching the videotape and make my feedback and then send them back. And, um, and what I loved about that kind of feedback, that it was real time and it, was, uh, it wasn't after the fact. So remember at that point in the therapy when blah, 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 they could see what was happening. I could pause the tape and they could see exactly what was going on. And then I started to realize that, you know, sometimes we can just break away from the traditional way that we're doing things, and it can actually have a lot of benefits. So I love to break those kind of rules. And I I got very excited with telepractice, seeing how it, it pushed some of the, the therapists that I was coaching into a, a better coaching role, less hands-on, less the parents sitting back and taking notes more involved with their child, and also we're reaching into their homes where we're working through daily routines and, uh, and we're actually seeing how those skills are applied. Now, there were, there were some drawbacks. I mean, it's hard to build rapport right away uh, with the family and uh, it's hard for them to do the prep, but I think there's so many uh, advantages to, to having the coach be a fly on the wall. Um, one great thing I found in Mexico is that it could involve other families. So this is a strange, um, you know, we could we can set up group calls to have mentorship going on. Or I remember one time uh, my wife was talking to a family in Spain, and the great advantage of Spain was that it was at a different time zone than Mexico, and so the parents could both be home at night while my wife was working within normal working hours. 
But one at one, um, there was one example where the father had gone to a business trip in in Britain, and he was able to attend the session. Um, and so, you know, there's just these these great little um, inclusion features to 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 telepractice that I just loved. And I just thought, okay, we can really explore this and just see how it might even shift the dynamic dynamic. And I feel like a lot of parents understand their role as the primary language facilitator much quicker and get to task much quicker in this type of format. So I'm a big fan of uh, telepractice. Um, I wish, I wish, you know, I could do a mix with some of those families who were in Spain uh, just because I feel like the first few sessions is great to build a personal face-to-face uh, -face rapport. We're all kind of robbed of that right now, but um, I think I think I would make that condition <laughs> just to say that I feel like that's that's important to me at least uh, to to feel like I'm connecting with the family and to build some sort of trust there. So you're not just a face on a screen. You're you're Dave, who knows you. <laughs> so. Well, one of the observations I've made uh, since I've been doing telepractice and then working with other professionals, especially those who are on the LISL path mm -hmm. and have less experience with telepractice, when I when I uh, see those individuals and when they start, I think it's a, for some, not all, but for some, it's an eye-opening experience because they realize that maybe they weren't doing as much real parent coaching as they should have been. And of course, with telepractice, that whole parent coaching is built in to be working with those, you know, those birth to three or four. Or so uh, that's right. Kiddos. And so you can't rescue the parent. And so it's, it's almost like a, an aha moment for many of those to suddenly. I really feel you're right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's exactly right. And I, I think, um, again, of course, there's this kind of uh, crossover where you're starting to interact more directly with the child as they get older. But especially for those early years, it's just so handy to be guiding them that way. And, um, and I would say too, that we, you know, we did some great things that probably led me to my research with the videos right now is that uh, we were having trouble explaining certain strategies online. And so, and so we were seeing a mix of people online and people in the clinic. So my wife started uh, doing these quick little YouTube private videos of explaining a certain strategy. And so she would just very quickly turn an iPad to herself that was on a stand, explain a strategy in very simple terms, and then send the link. And uh, this ended up being very easy to do over Skype because we could just send those links off to parents for them to watch. But what we found was that the parents within a session are often overwhelmed with, you know, child management and all these other things. They need more repetition. And also the onus is on them to go home and explain these strategies to other communicative partners in the family. This is one way where, you know, um, they can see it, they can show it, they can share it. And um, I mean, that's possible too with, with screen capture for, for these type of um, these type of services and telepractice too. So I think there's lots of great things to explore. I feel like the new thing that we're exploring is how to do a good variety of, uh, 
of games and activities when we're doing more face-to-face. And, and so I loved discovering boom cards. I love discovering green screen. I love discovering all these things to kind of vary the pace and vary the action and maybe build a, build a theme and work within this, you know, this screen, <laughs> but in, in a more varied way to just really capture the kids a little better, bit better than they normally can in telepractice. Well, I'm I'm really uh, I'm glad you mentioned green screens because um, we we just had on uh, Abby Hickling, and uh-huh. uh, she's uh, with GoGo Speech. Yep, she's very dy- dynamic. I love watching her videos to explain. She's this. Very good. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I can see you know troll in a bowl and all kinds of things happening uh, <gasps> on a green screen happening around you like this. Yep, that's right. So I, 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 that's been a learning process for me. I, I, I've had some great green screen ideas that end up, I, I have printables that go with it that are green. And I <laughs> realized that was a big mistake. So, but now I'm starting to learn to give a space for a person so that they can operate. And, uh, and so now I've, I've put out probably about uh, seven different green screen activities as well. So, so I'm that's starting great. to, starting to have fun with that as well, trying to think about how, how they might be kind of fun. So. Yeah, Kim and I kept, we've talked about, you know, sort of Blue's Clues, you know, the old show where it was all green screen, you know. Yeah. The guy, yeah. you know, interacting with Blue and all the characters. It's the same yeah. thing, really. You know, knowing where to look and knowing where things are going to be in the visual field. and <laughs> Yeah, it's a little, yeah, my hand always goes up to the wrong side right now, but yeah. I can't sort of control that, you know, so <laughs> used to that too. Yeah. I do love it though because I think sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say I do love it though because it takes it out of being like I don't kind of that let's look at this together to I am part of it. I am you know, I'm part of the scene and and your attention's still on me and not on something else on the screen and so we can interact together. So I have I've not done a lot with green screen yet, but I love the ideas and I love all the products that are coming out with it. Yeah. Well, I, I've gone a little crazy with it. Sometimes some of my green screens need four pockets to hide two things in different places. And, uh, I've got a flashlight now where you can you can use it to look past things. And so, but anyway, I I have fun thinking about how to how to even do uh, um, like dice for moving along a game board. I figured out some things for that. So so I'm excited to just keep going on that too. But. That's awesome, and and I. What you said earlier about you know some of the creativity, you know it's it's nice having that as you, you know, are working on your PhD and in school, and you're so focused on doing all these things. It's nice having that other creative outlet. And it it sure is. I think I really need that. You know, I would say that my PhD process has been mostly creating the videos. <laughs> so now it's come time for writing about what what the studies have said about creating those videos. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, writing is creative, mm-hmm. um, but, um, but I'd rather draw pirates, I guess I would say. <laughs> well, I, I did find some information about it's uh, the here on videos. Just to... That's right. So will these be commercially available at some point or? They are, uh, they're produced actually for the infant hearing program here in Ontario. And so we got funding for that. And uh, the, the, the speech-language pathologists uh, support the, the babies that have been identified through that program 
to age three or four. And uh, they're using those materials to counsel parents. So we've been actually getting a lot of stakeholder input. Ontario, one of the reasons I got into an auditory verbal therapy is that this territory is rich with auditory verbal therapists. Right. You know, greats like Warren S. Brooks, he's mm-hmm. unfortunately retired, he says. <laughs> but there's been a lot of greats here in Ontario. And so it was easy to find people to in, inspire inspire that kind of work. Uh, but um, there's now a whole group of people that need kind of support for that. So I was able to use some of these these more experienced therapists and audiologists as stakeholders that could give me feedback on what they liked or what they didn't like about the the videos. And, you know, a lot of times I would work uh, on my therapy materials in a vacuum and I would kind of go by feedback after they produced. This was a whole new process for me. And I realized how valuable it is to really meet the needs of the therapists that are using the tools. And so uh, they would give me great feedback about how they didn't like this phrase or would this phrase work better. I found some very excellent ways of explaining very tricky concepts uh, that I was able to incorporate in the video. So imagine that, you know, there's a therapist that's discovered the best way to explain this. They share it. It goes on the video. And now these therapists with very less experience are able to apply that and follow that and help the family they're working with. So right now these videos are being uh, adapted for, uh, we're, we're adapting them for, sorry, different languages. So right now we've done an Arabic version of one. There's a university in, uh, in Europe that is helping us develop other ones. So we are working on getting other versions up, but they're always gonna be free and they're always gonna, always gonna be available. So hopefully as we discover how these can best be used, other provinces in Canada can use them. Other therapists in the U.S. can use them, and we can, um, you know, they're supposed to be used as a tool with the therapist. So right. sometimes an audiologist is in that same predicament of trying to explain this to one parent who has come, especially with COVID. Only one parent comes in the room now, and that poor parent has to go back and explain this content to their 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 family and all the family that's that's so invested in this in this baby. And so now they're included with these videos because they, they're able to get the information and uh, feel more empowered from that. And so everyone as a team now is hopefully recognizing that, uh, that these hearing aids are important. They help. They understand why the baby may turn to voice, but that without the hearing aids, they're not hearing a complete signal. So we're overcoming some of these, these things that get in the way for a baby to wear their, their hearing aids. And sometimes that's the people that didn't hear the audiologist's <laughs> explanation. One, th- one thing we turned around and ended up doing was, and this was through talking with stakeholders, was finding out that parents often didn't trust the ABR results because the baby was sleeping, or they didn't come prepared and they didn't see the importance of keeping the baby asleep. So we kind of circled back and we did a did one video for preparing for that first visit. And what the therapists, uh, we haven't done a study, but the therapists here at the at Western have been reporting that parents are coming better prepared for that, that screening. And they're also through the video better prepared to, to receive that diagnosis. And so that's, that's starting the whole thing off right. Um, I can think of another video that really deals with 
the use of data logging, how that can be a tool between us. And so the feedback I've been getting is that it's diffused some of that dis- defensiveness from parents and it gives uh, the audiologists a way to produce that, use that uh, feature as a tool rather than, you know, <laughs> a scolding uh, uh, system. <laughs> it's more of a tool to use with the parent to make sure that we're, we're accomplishing things or overcoming barriers or problem solving through this. So, um, so I'm very happy with the videos and I, I, I know that they will be provided free from here on and I'm hoping uh, that I can continue uh, because these are for the first stretch. Mm-hmm. And I know that parents are now gonna have to get into some videos that, uh, that explain the difference in, in future tests past the ABR and future uh, uh, issues with keeping the hearing aids on. I mean, the issues for a two-year-old are quite different than the issues for a six-month-old, right. and so I've got quite a quite a few videos to continue with, um, but I'm trying to go slow and sure to make sure that these videos are what therapists say are useful. I can see even um, making videos to help kids explain their own hearing loss to like others in the classroom or transition into a regular education classroom when they've been, you know, in some other preschools and things like that. That's Um, like how you said that you've worked with some of your babies. I've watched some of my babies from when I was in grad school on social media and them grow up and go to middle school and run for student office and all these things. And, and now deal with COVID and everyone wearing masks around them and Mm -hmm. having to overcome all those obstacles. So I can see that you could do, you know, hearing throughout the lifespan for yeah, these videos. And, and that is the feedback I've gotten is like, okay, well, you've dealt with uh, the babies, you know, the ba- on average, the babies are having the hearing aids on less than five hours a day. And from the studies is showing that 10 hours or more, we can hit age expectation by kindergarten. So, you know, that's been my focus, but a lot of people are saying, what about the teens? They're worse. <laughs> so, so Yeah. I think there's a lot, a, a lot there. And one thing about the the younger age too is just like you're saying, and support for the schools, you know, support for the daycares, you know, to make sure that those hearing aids are going to the daycare, and the parent, the daycare knows how to handle them, knows how to deal with them, and knows the importance of keeping those on and working. And so, yeah, it's a it's a big task, but it's a it's a worthy a worthy fight. And so, what I've done is um, I've I've gone to the field of psychology to find uh, a lot of a lot of techniques in terms of behavior change. Right. And it's not as manipulative as it sounds. What it really does is look at the barriers that people face in changing behavior. So a lot of this research had to do with people who want to lose weight or want to quit smoking, but they're having trouble with, with that. And so a lot of these strategies work on how people think and how people um are, are stuck sometimes or are, are, are there just too many choices or they don't feel empowered or they don't have uh, the strategies. Sometimes they don't have the motivation. They just have to overcome some of these preconceptions. So it was a great exercise because it allowed me to really look at it in a very in-depth way of what people are getting blocked about for that. And I think that pattern can be applied for teens, can be applied for, uh, for, for anywhere along any problem, really. I, the, the, my fans in that field are now are in England and I've tried to contact them lately about something we're working on. 
and they are completely busy right now trying to get people to wear masks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a lot of applications for behavior change. And I really feel like this is a great time to step in and start really applying it to the field of audiology and auditory verbal therapy. It's really, really resonates with what we do anyway, mm -hmm. uh, but it gives us some tools to really not just say, okay, the parent, they need these skills. A lot of times they need the opportunity. Do they have enough time to accomplish these things or, or do they, they have enough motivation? Do they realize the, the importance of the time they spend between the sessions or they still have a preconception that we are the ones that can fix things? Right. So I think this kind of uh, framework can really help us approach the problems within uh, providing this type of service uh, in a very systematic and problem-solving way. I love the way that you were looking at that as how to change the behavior of the parent, because I think a lot of times we know that we're supposed to be doing parent coaching, but no one has told us or we haven't learned about adult learning styles. And we're so focused on the child and getting the child to do things that and it's really the adult that we're teaching. So I think that's yeah. great that you looked at that from my psychology and behavior change uh, for the parent standpoint. Yeah, there's lots of interesting things there. And uh, it's very interesting how people, well, I guess everyone's figured that out this year. It's very interesting how people think and how that might affect behavior. So, Have, have you run across uh, appreciative uh, inquiry? Appreciative inquiry, no. No. So it's a, it's a concept that is being used more and more widely uh, in business, uh, sometimes in counseling. Basically, it's sort of a strengths-based approach to... Okay, which I really like, yeah. But uh, appreciative inquiry basically says, if you were going to say, if you had a company, you would mm -hmm. you know, take a look at the company, look at the areas of the company that are working really, really well, and then define why those elements in that company or those departments are doing so well. And then let's try to replicate what's, what's working in these other parts that are not working as much. Yeah. I mean, there's more to it than that, but that's sort of the, the nutshell version. But uh, I see a, appreciative inquiry in the strengths-based coaching. Yeah, I love strengths-based coaching. And, and actually, what you, what you said just kind of triggered uh, one discovery I made here uh, through this work, is that sometimes the solution from some, some families that are very empowered and very skilled, we, we tend to just give those solutions from those families to these families where their context is much different. Right. And so I think what, you know, what I've learned from the field of psychology is that they, they look at how, is this the case across the board? Have everybody in this context not done well? No, there are these people that have done well. What are they doing different? And so a lot of that came from, uh, you know, changing people's diets. How are these people in the same economic situation able to give good food to their children? And those are the, that's the advice we give to the other kids, because that is the generalizable uh, right, right. Uh, concept to, to pass to them, not something that doesn't work. And I think we fall into that trap a lot is think of what, it, what could work for us. I fell in that trap a lot in Mexico, what could work for connect for Canada. And it just did not work in Mexico. So right. that was another great time for my wife to, to tell me what she thought. But anyway, <laughs> what we ended up doing was, yeah, it's, it's your assumptions. You have to really guard your assumptions. But I really found that that was useful is to try to find someone 
in that context who had who had found a way. And and you don't have to invent a way. You can find a way and examine it and share it. So it sounds similar. Yeah, very 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 similar. And and uh, but I I love this whole idea of of behavior change because I think that's that's really key. It's and and it is we do talk about parent coaching a bit, but you know unfortunately. A lot of graduate programs, a lot of training programs aren't really doing as much training pre-service yep. uh, as we'd like to see. But I think I think you're really hitting on it when you get into that whole idea of it's really when you just strip away everything, it's about changing behavior. Yeah, it is. What are the key elements that we need to do to change behavior? We need to move this this person from doing this to doing now doing this. And then how can we get them to do it consistently and do it well? And yeah, and I think I think at the beginning, right. I don't think it happens so much anymore, but at the beginning there were a lot of families that were dismissed because they weren't mm-hmm. they weren't motivated enough or they weren't following through or they weren't this or they weren't that. And I think our real work happens when we find out what's what's their barrier. Is it that they haven't bought into the to the treatment? Have they haven't bought into the to the reason why we're doing this? Or are they what they've already bought in, but they don't have the skill set. So um, I think uh, just a, just scolding and just apply uh, trying to focus just on what they should be doing. I think falls flat for a lot of families. And I think this is a way to approach uh, a wider uh, cohort <laughs> and really reach the families that really need us. So. That's right. That's right. One of the things that I've learned here in Ohio is, is uh, we have, you know, Ohio is a very much a, a rural state and we have these big cities, yep. like Cincinnati, Columbus, you know, Cleveland, but in between it's mostly farmland. Yeah. And so uh we have an Amish community too. And so it's quite large into Pennsylvania. And, and so it's, it's interesting working with, you know, Amish people through telepractice, you know, Amish people who may not have technology available to them in their home. So how are you going to deliver services? Because the hospital says there's no outpatient services, you know, for this period of time, you have to do telehealth. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's, trying to say, like you're saying, go where the situation is, where the parents are, and how can we make it work? Let's get down to what motivates them. How can we provide those services in a way that's going to be facilitative and still be successful? And if we can do telepractice with an Amish family, I think people can do just about anything. (laughs) That's right. And I think think that's what we have in common is that you love the problem solve. You love those challenges, and I, I do too. So I think when we come up with some solutions that work, uh, it's great that you're, you know, you share your ideas, and we can have podcasts like this, and hopefully it helps somebody else get an idea to, to think of how to solve a problem. So where there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah, that's right. So you know, where I mean, you now or you've just finished your master's in audiology. Or- I have. So where do you want to be after the PhD? You're going to be on faculty. Do you want to do more research, or what do you? I, th- I think um, I think that's where I'll end up. I love to teach as well. Um, so what I would love is that the the infant hearing program continues to see the the need for these videos. And I can continue my work there. I'd love to be um, 
involved in the training of the speech pass here in, here in Ontario. And yeah, and somehow I've got to fit in making boom cards on the sides. <laughs> so, Same material. Yeah. But um, that's the greatest thing about working and seeing need for material is that, uh, you know, I'm not just, I'm just, I'm not just making them in my office. I, I see what, what people are using, what, how, how it works, how, how it doesn't and, and what, what's missing. So. Well, if that all falls through, I could see you doing the, you know, the Dave Sindri cartoon show <laughs> and we'd all <laughs> tune in and watch it with all, all of your um, fun ideas. And I love how the humor that you bring to all of your activities. So um that could be your fallback. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> New skill set I'll need. Yep. <laughs> Dave, it's been a, a great uh, opportunity for us to, to chat with you. And uh, we just, uh, we thank you for everything that you're giving to the, to the telepractice community, to the listenable spoken language, listening and spoken language community, but just to, you know, speech language pathologists and teachers uh, in general. Uh, everyone's using your materials. We just really appreciate everything that you're doing. Okay, great. Well, I'm just, you know, as I said before, I'm just happy to be part of this group. Yeah. Well, best of luck with everything, and uh, and we'll we'll have you back on in a in a few months, and we'll you know, maybe catch up on sure. the videos are going and what what new things you you have in development. Yeah, I'd be happy to. That sounds great. Thanks, Dave. Okay. Thanks. Bye bye. Dave is an amazing clinician and teacher, and he's extremely creative and is making all kinds of materials, plus finishing uh, his master's in audiology and a PhD. So I don't know when he has time to do all the things that he needs to do, but I'm continue. I continue to be very, very impressed with him and really appreciate all the work that he's doing to improve the lives of children with hearing loss and to help us as professionals to uh, also improve our lives by giving us such great materials to work with. With that, thank you for listening to this episode. Again, it was an interview that we did on another podcast uh, with my co-host, Kim Dutro-Allen, on telepractice today, because Dave is doing both telepractice as well as everything else he's doing. And if you like this interview and this podcast, it's very helpful if you could leave us a five-star review that helps us to attract new subscribers and to increase the number of people who are listening to the podcast. And that's essentially what we want to do. And by the way, if you know of someone you would like to have on the show or would want to recommend someone or you would like to be on the show yourself, reach out to me at todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and I'll be happy to contact that individual or contact you and see what we can work out and get you on the show. So with that, thank you again for listening. Be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.